Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I have been talking for a while now about the direction that leftists are trying to take this country. When implemented, their policies just simply kill individuality and independent thought. They go against human nature and suppress free speech. This always leads to terrible leaders, tyranny, and even death. This is not only unbiblical, but just plain evil. Many that have lived under tyranny are sounding the alarm bells that what the left is pushing is what they experienced in their own homelands. Habi Zhang writes for the Daily Wire and wrote this. She said, I grew up in what I call post-totalitarianism. That is post-Mao, China. Mao, the ruthless and cunning tyrant, ruled China for nearly 30 years, from 1949 to 1976. That was the year of his death. It was a period when China was soaked in blood, famine, and mayhem, as Mao, not Stalin or Hitler, produced the deadliest regime in modern human history. In fact, much of the Western world is unaware of. But the darker shadow Mao cast upon the Chinese nation is a loss of humanity ensuing from scores of mass movements marked by endless persecutions, denunciations, and false confessions. The loss of spirituality, human dignity, and interpersonal trust is profound and irrecoverable. The nation that survived those savage mass movements has learned to be cynical, calculating, and deceptive. From a very young age, I was puzzled by the pervasive inequality and unpathologic unfairness and and the uh, privileges reserved for the Communist Party members that were palpable in every corner of Chinese society. Being the child of illiterate parents who struggled to feed the family through a series of menial jobs, I faced in society and at school blatant prejudice and discrimination. Meanwhile, I was troubled to see the so-called people's servants, i.e. the government officials, Wantanali abused power to accumulate wealth and and uh, dictate the lives of those around them with tyrannical edicts. Those experiences served as the earliest evidence that the propaganda I would often read in textbooks or hear in the state-run media was untrue. They left me questioning whether the Communist Party had actually made China free and equal as they claimed. In truth, this Communist Party does not conceive of the Chinese people as beings of uh, intrinsic value, but only objects of utility 
for the CCP, the Chinese people are no more than the building blocks of the country's GDP. And the people, either having learned that the regime is a brutal dictatorship or being thoroughly brainwashed to equate the country with the party, won't bother to fight for their rights. They play along. The Chinese nation is but a lie. But by either quiet or passive compliance or you know deliberate calculation everybody is conf- is confirming the system alan bloom in the closing of the american mind writes that every educational system has a moral goal in accordance with the nature of the regime and for the purpose of producing the kind of human beings that best serve the regime. Uh, aristocracies want gentlemen, um, oligarchies, men who respect and pursue money, and democracies, lover of equality. My generation spent most of their years during the 1990s and the 2000s, a time when China was ruled by a tiny group of oligarchs in an, an extremely opaque organization called the um, Pulitzer uh, Standing Committee of the Chinese Communist Party, this group finds ideologies such as Maoism and Marxism to be only transparent propaganda schemes. What they truly respect and desire is money. Period. Making a living is not enough. Making a living in luxury and ease is the goal. Several descendants later, my fellow Chinese people have transformed from peons to dedicated consumers with Im- impressive purchasing power who gladly acquiesce to the legal and political uh, deprivations. The state runs the school as boot camps. The educational system is centered on training the, the most skilled and and efficient labors, as well as on indoctrination for the sake of total control of the regime's subjects. Certain history needs to be buried or distorted. One will not read in textbooks an accurate account of the Chinese Cultural Revolution, which took place, of course, in 1966 through 1976, let alone to have a hint of knowledge of dozens of other mass movements of a smaller scale. The Great Famine of 1959 and 1961, Tiananmen Square massacre, the 1989 one, vanished without a trace in the collective memory. Since day one at grade school, I found class bizarre and boring because all efforts were oriented not towards true learning, but Gao Kao, the National College Entrance Test. Um, Questions of why were not encouraged or needed. Substituted for learning in the classroom was memorization and the standardized answers. Substituted for beauty and uh, imagination were naked utilities that 
made all subjects not only dull, but barren. And in the end, memorization and repetition crowded out wonder. The willingness and ability to think sank into uh, atrophy, rendering my countrymen more pliable and manageable. For me, Chinese schooling was suffocating, not merely because of the rote uh, pedagogy that many Chinese students would complain about or political propaganda that made me cringe, but more importantly, that it was a spiritual desert where the soul is not led out towards something external, beautiful, or noble. Then, at the age of 16, I came across a book in a bookstore that explained how the American school was a special place, which, unlike its Chinese counterpart, was devoted to the cultivation of the enduring longings of the human soul, to assist in man's hunger to know, to understand, and to seek truth, was its highest mission. Students were challenged to think the unthinkable, to question convention, and to debate each other on ideas. The longing for a spot in one of these classrooms began to torment me. I wanted to escape a culture that had no respect or use for truth, but only money and power. I finally made my way out in 1915 when I attended a Pepperdine school of public policy. I felt I had died and gone to heaven during my two years at SPP. I had the best teachers one could have hoped for, but in a way, SPP also sheltered me from the larger reality in the rest of the Western world. It was in in 2017 when I was first alerted to the attack on freedom of speech that had taken place against Jordan Peterson a year earlier. I was then stunned to see social justice warriors attack, sometimes physically, conservative speakers for alleged hate speech, or i.e. the speech they hate. (laughs) The administration shut down events or disinvited speakers in an attempt to placate to the angry mob. Meanwhile, they aggressively inculcated a cult of narcissistic victimhood on campus. Infantilized American adults are uh, delicate or brittle, cold or entitled, highly irritable or uh, irritating, (laughs) easily outraged, poorly trained, and profoundly uneducated. I would not believe all that was happening in a civilization that has in the past nurtured liberal thinkers such as John Stuart Mill. I would not believe this was the same America once distinguished by its cowboy spirit. In 2019, when I was in the second year of my doctoral program in political science, I noticed the catchy phrase, white supremacy, mushrooming in the media and on campus. 
Nobody offered a definition or supplied evidence, but all cultural elites were speaking the narrative to students and media consumers, propagating it as, a, as the biggest threat to America. In retrospect, the threat of so-called white supremacy served as a stepping stone for the ascendancy of secular religions. By that, I mean the ideology of intersectionality that, that preaches uh, competitive victimhood. And DEI and CRT that preach division, hatred, and revenge. Then, in late 2020, I was flabbergasted to see the American uh, replication of the Chinese Cultural Revolution on full blast. The, the stunning similarity of the rhetoric and tactics between BLM and Antifa writers who raise their fists and red guards who hold high the little red book is terrifying. In my first essay published in November of that year, I wrote, quote, one must wonder how long it will take before the revolution creeps into households and regularly has people turn on one another. Little did I know that it didn't take long before so-called cancel culture blossomed in 2021. In recent years, I look in dismay at the cultural war throwing this great country into mayhem. It angers me to see the American left continue to replicate the Chinese Cultural Revolution in America, turning good people into informers, liars, and opportunists. As a person who verses herself in the literature of totalitarianism, especially Mao's China and the totalitarian ideology, I refuse to give any um, credible reading of the leftists. To call them hypocrites is a gross understatement because when drunk in power, totalitarianism have, have no sense of shame. Then there was a personal lament. I fled from a hard totalitarianism, i.e. the Jinping's uh, China, only to find myself in an emerging soft one where thinking is discouraged. Dissent, well, it's, it, it, it's persecuted. And ideological loyalty, the prerequisite for flourishing in the institution of higher learning. I am deeply worried about the direction America is heading, not merely because of the totalitarian state um, and, and how it takes away freedom. Many have yet to learn that it also destroys everything in humanity that is noble, decent, and ethical. You may say that it is terrible that it is happening there in China, but that kind of thing would never happen in America. I would submit to you that you are wrong because of, of, of all that we're seeing from just like this, this gal and what she saw growing up to, uh, to, to just, to, just about any place around the world throughout history. People are people and God made us all with a free will, which leads to sinful human nature. That human nature strives for power 
and control. That is exemplified in what we see today in the American left. And to, to kind of illustrate that, David Limbaugh, that's the, the writer and lawyer and brother of the late Rush Limbaugh, writes an interesting article that makes that, that might make you think a little about the direction that we are being pushed by leftists. He says the fascist left regularly uh, typifies the, the very qualities it professes to abhor. The only thing more pronounced than its totalitarianism is its stunning lack of self-awareness. It's ironic that leftists think of themselves as liberals, as the term liberal is historically connected to the concept of liberty. Not only are they merely selective champions of liberty, but the, the, the logical extension of their agenda is an uh, eradication of liberty from the socialism uh, and, and of, of the Supreme Court uh, legislation, from the uh, radical uh, redistrict, uh, redistribution of income to uh, oppressive pseudo-environmental regulations. Uh, what do I mean by selective champions of liberty? Well, simply that they believe conservative ideas are so odorous that that they must be excluded from the classroom, excluded from social media, university student organizations, and excluded in, in, in way too many other cases, like restaurants, yard signs, and even baseball caps. Try teaching intelligent design in many public schools. In the name of science, they'll exclude its scientific findings. They believe that conservatives and their ideas are inherently racist and sexist, and in many cases lead to violence, which means conservatives are not entitled to the First Amendment protection or free speech expression on social media. It's scary how these leftists have blinded themselves to their own hypocrisy and fascism in trampling the same rights they purport to celebrate. Invisible authoritarians running social media platforms cite arbitrary rules of conduct that conveniently censor conservative opinions to allegedly ensure decency and decorum. Yet the opinions they muzzle are only dangerous and indecent if you define danger as the free expression of opposing views. While prohibiting conservative views, they don't remotely advocate violence. They permit overt leftists call violence. The chilling process by which this private and sometimes government-supported censorship occurs is that leftists subjectively determine conservative speech is offensive or hateful and must be banned. The First Amendment free speech guarantees were designed precisely to protect controversial political speech, as uncontroversial expression obviously needs no, no protection. In the not-so-distant past, liberals understood that Protecting the expression of all ideas was the essence of liberty. 
yesterday's American Civil Liberties Union defended the rights of neo-Nazis to march through Skokie, Illinois in 1978. Examples of tyrannical leftist mindset abound. Nicholas Sandman's admission to Transylvania University in Kentucky incensed certain leftists. They clearly loathe Sandman, who was brutally slaughtered by CNN and other leftists when activists accosted him for just simply wearing a mega hat and standing for the pro-life cause. Quote, does anyone else think it's a bit of a stain on Transylvania University for accepting Nick Sandman? I'm sure it's a both sides defense, but it's pretty counter to their mission and another instance of their not being equal sides to an issue, unquote. <laughs> that was written by the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, and a staffer there, Samuel Crankshaw. And, and he wrote this on Facebook. He said, quote, This kid clearly is a provocateur in training with no intention of learning. He exists only to troll, intimidate, and play victim. Unquote. That's what he said about Nick Sandman. Qu quote, counter to our mission? What mission would that be? <laughs> I mean, the, the promulgation of leftist propaganda and the, the suppression of opposing ideas? I mean, note Crenshaw's revealing admission that he doesn't believe there are even two sides to the Sandman controversy. This is more remarkable considering that the media's original reporting of this event was debunked at the time and then more resoundingly discredited when Sandman settled a major defamation uh, lawsuit against CNN and the Washington Post. Despite Sandman's vindication, this ranting ACLU ideologue can't even acknowledge that Sandman had a legitimate position. And without knowing Sandman's personality, Crankshaw presumes he has no intention of learning. Leftist open-mindedness is right here on parade, obviously. Crankshaw isn't alone, though. Transylvania University professor Avery Tompkins, who paradoxically identifies as a diversity scholar, went even further. He said, quote, if Sandman were to cause problems by being disruptive, trolling, or engaging in unethical behavior of any kind, I would immediately document it. And he would just be putting himself in a position for me to file a conduct report. <laughs> this is this is uh, uh, his comment, competence on, on Crenshaw's Facebook. Now, this unmistakably reads like a threat against Sandman. And, and, and he should express his views. But if that weren't just sickening enough, Tompkins' claims 
are just preposterous. Sandman wasn't disruptive at the pro-life march. He trolled no one. A Native American man approached and taunted him, obnoxiously banging a drum in his face. Nor did Salmon believe or, or, or behave unethically, unless perhaps you believe that gathering in support of the innocent unborn babies is unethical. Tompkins' thinking is disturbing, though I would defend his freedom to express his stupidity. I I really would, as is his attempted um, intimidation, is what you could call it, of a student entering his university. It's rich that on the university website, Tompkins is quoted as saying, I don't want to be the authoritative person in the classroom. The classes are there for the students. It's not my soapbox. (laughs) Well, you could have fooled me. (laughs) But Tompkins' later apology, uh, in, in which he paid lip service to diversity, is absolutely laughable. And he he is an adult with fully formed ideas and a poster child for illustrating that the left's idea of diversity means anything but ideological diversity. Another example uh, involved the leftist university of uh, Rhode Island professor Eric Loomis, uh, who defended an uh, anarchist uh, murder uh, of Trump of a Trump supporter, Aaron Danielson, right here, uh, close to where this podcast is uh, originated from, in Portland, Oregon. He he killed a fascist. Uh, is is what Loomis said. He killed a fascist. He said, "I see nothing wrong with it, at least from a moral perspective." This ad- abomination speaks for itself. Before you call this an extreme example, note that this kind of thinking drives the the widespread leftist violence throughout American cities, and that that these these cities that enable democratic uh, governors and mayors to just let this kind of stuff go on. What all this means is that our fight for freedom and liberty, it's a good fight. The sacrifices that, that we're making are making a difference. The alternative to what we have here in America is simply just a terrible one, no matter what socialists say. Let's heed the warnings that so many that have experienced the effects of leftist policies are raising. Let's not let this wonderful experiment called the American Freedom become just simply a blip in history. And you may agree, you may completely disagree with this. I would definitely love to hear from you on this. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.